Hi, everyone. This is Sarah McFarland from Inside Scientific, the online environment for life science webinars, virtual events, interviews, and educational content that helps you do your best work. Today's episode of Expert Answers features Dr. Julio Ayala from Vanderbilt University and Dr. Matt Robinson from Oregon State University. They both recently joined us for a webinar on the effects of stress and high-fat diets on neuronal activity and mitochondrial remodeling in mice, where they discussed their research focusing on high-fat feeding behavior in mice and the effects of stress and exercise on metabolism and obesity. Let's dive in. Great. Okay. So we're going to kick off the Q&A with our first question. This question is for you, Julio. Did the locomotor activity measures include wheel running behaviors? That's a great question. No, unfortunately, we did not include wheel running. We have the capability to to measure that. And that's something that's on our radar. But this was just ambulatory activity within the cage. Okay, great. Matt, this question is for you. Is it possible that mitochondrial capacity differs among major tissue groups? For example, mitochondria in muscle versus neurons versus hepatic tissue? Yeah, certainly. So there, there's definitely evidence for differences across tissues from respiration perspective. A, a couple of things that underlie that question is what are the nutrition and energy demands within each of those tissues? So for example, within skeletal muscle, the mitochondria are being driven to generate ATP versus at the liver, they're also being driven to generate ATP, but they're flooded with a number of nutrients. So what we're trying to consider a little bit more in the field is how do those tissue responses vary to their specific demands? And also how does the remodeling response vary between each of them as well? And for example, the liver has a very high turnover rate of mitochondria, so they might be able to um, adapt fairly well. Okay, moving on to our next question. Julio, this question is for you. How does restraint stress compare to other forms of stress, like predator-induced stress, acute injury, thermal stress, infection, etc.? Yes, that's a great question. It's something that we're interested in pursuing, especially with regards to whether these, not only does obesity affect the response to stress, but whether the mechanisms that we're interested in are also a you know, general response to different stressors or are there specific mechanisms that are relevant to specific types of stress and whether or not obesity affects those. So yeah, that's a very good question. My hunch is that given the fact that rodents tend to respond differently to different stressors, that maybe some of the phenotypes that we are looking at and some of the mechanisms may be specific or relevant to one or maybe a couple of stressors, but not necessarily to all stressors. And that's something that is in in the long-term plans for our studies. So great question. Fantastic. Matt, this next question is for you. The natural exercise regime of mice is to run full speed for several seconds and then take a break and then run full speed again. Is that similar enough to be considered analogous to high intensity interval training in humans? Yeah, that's, that's such a great question on mouse exercise behavior. So, yeah, so natu- uh, mice are basically those natural interval runners. They're, they're not made for running long distances. So, for example, our exercise program on the mice tries to mimic that. So we have the mice run at shorter, higher exercise intensity for a single bout, and then we lower the grade, lower the speed, give them a little bit to rest, and then repeat that over time. So the the mice do allow us 
some understanding of what is the, the effects of these high intensity bouts. Now, what we're trying to understand a bit more in humans is we know those high intensity bouts can really drive some pretty strong adaptations. So can that be useful within, in our context, for example, obesity or in other disease populations such as cardiovascular diseases, um, can HIIT training be really useful for inducing rapid metabolic gains? Um, that's really, really interesting. Julio, this next question is for you. Do the obese mice have lower neuronal response to initial restraint because they are quote unquote fat and happy? Uh, yeah, great question. And that's sort of the $64,000 question is and something that we've been discussing a lot in the lab is why are obese mice less prone to neuronal activation in response to stress? Because yeah, it is, it is very possible that you know, there's something completely independent of what we're looking at that just makes them less susceptible to feeling stress and therefore their neurons are not becoming activated and they're not as susceptible to stress. So we're looking at that in two different, at least a few different ways. One is, I mean, just the, uh, the indirect calorimetry data shows that their energy expenditure increases equivalently to that what is seen in lean mice. Now that is not a direct indicator that they are just as stressed as lean mice, but you know, could potentially be used as a proxy. So that would suggest that they are feeling stressed. There is just that their neuronal activity just doesn't come on as, as much as, as, as lean mice. And the other way to approach it is to, as in the previous question, look at different stressors that aren't necessarily tied down to a physical restraint, you know, something that you would assume would equivalently stress a lean or and an obese mouse. And then finally, also just what happens if we expose mice to a palatable substance like a high fat diet or, or sucrose, not allow them to become obese, but then stress them having had that exposure and then seeing whether in the absence of obesity, just the mere exposure to these palatable substances attenuates the activity of these neurons in response to a stressor. Great, Matt. So this is our last question, and it's for you. Have you measured ROS or reactive oxygen species production in the oxygraph with either substrate? Yes. Now, this is an outstanding uh, technical question there. Um, so yes, we have. And what we find is that the lipid oxidation generates more leak to reactive oxygen species. So it's very substrate specific. Now, what we're trying to understand a bit more is what happens when we have multiple competing substrates there. So if we have several nutrients simultaneously, can we drive greater ROS production? And is that specific to an individual complex? So yes, we've seen that. We see it mostly through lipid oxidation pressures. And that's one of the reasons why we're looking at some of the substrate competition and the reactive oxygen species damage to the mitochondrial proteins. Very cool. I used the oxygraph in my master's research, so I'm particularly interested in these questions. And I'm excited <laughs> to see the report that we get out later with all of your answers from both Matt and from Julio to all of these questions. They're really fantastic. So thank you everyone for sending them in. And first, I want to thank our presenters, Julio and Matt. Thank you so much for these really awesome presentations. These talks are so important. And I think your research is very relatable to everyone, especially in the current climate that the world is in. So thank you again for your insights. We 
We hope you enjoyed this episode of Expert Answers and that you'll tune in to future episodes where researchers just like you answer questions about their work, offer tips, tricks, and best practices, but most of all, share science. Don't forget to subscribe.